0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 33. And the last time, the message was titled, A Type of the World, or the World System, as the Bible speaks about, whether it's the Old or the New Testament. And we're talking about the Egyptian empire. We're not talking about modern-day Egypt. It's not an ethnicity, but it's an empire issue. So if you weren't here, definitely you can get it for free off the website and check out what does the world system look like, how do people get caught up in it. And today the message is titled, What is your house built on? What is your house built on? Now, as we go through this chapter, you're going to notice, if you've been with us in Ezekiel, you're going to say to yourself, I've heard this before. This sounds familiar and you would be right. So what God seems to do is he kind of scoops up uh, a bunch of different chapters, things that he had said to Ezekiel before, puts them all together in this chapter because the theme, as we come out of ezekiel thirty three and we get into the end times prophecy eschatology is going to be mind blowing so the Lord now is moving towards this repentance and restoration of the nation of Israel and future uh, future events that are going to take place and when we get to ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine you 'll see what i 'm talking about so um, what I would say today is today i could have title the message in addition to what is your house built on? I could have titled it, what is the meaning of life? I toyed with that one too. Sometimes it's tough for me. You know, I got the material. I'm like, what do I title this? You know what I'm saying? Uh, So as we go through the whole thing, what is the meaning of life, right? Books have been written. Movies have been uh, shown about this type of question. I mean, we all have that question. We're not going to live forever in in these bodies. But what, what God is trying to express to us is that, the most important thing, really, is that everybody gets to go to heaven and be with him. And when you really think about how easy he's made it for us, usually the biggest obstacle is ourselves, is our stubbornness, is our free will. Uh, so we're going to look at this in seven parts, go through it briefly. Uh, but we're, you're going to see that, you know, this is, you're going to see God's heart in this chapter as we see it often. So chapter 33 The appointment of Ezekiel as a watchman. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Prophet Ezekiel speaking. Saying, so God speaking to him, son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them. When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, If the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life, save his own life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and comes, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. We're going to talk about the difference between the old and the, te- and the new Testament. So I'm going to get to that tweak, that little tweak there. Cause it's, it's a big issue. So you son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, "O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood, I will require at your hand. This isn't the, this isn't. The afterlife, this is a physical death, but there's a deeper meaning to this. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. You warned them. So, first out of seven is the spiritual watchman. Now, in in ancient cultures, it wasn't just Israel, right? They didn't have air superiority. They didn't have bombers. They didn't have missiles. So, everything that happened in a war sense was on the ground. So they'd take a guy, sometimes a gal, put him in a tower, give him a horn, maybe a spare horn if that one didn't work, and their job was to maybe more than one person. So they would work shift work, right? So somebody could sleep and someone else can keep an eye out on it. And if they would see the enemy army approaching, they would blow that horn like crazy. They would scream, they would yell, they would blow the horn. And that that was before radar, right? That was the early warning system. That the army would muster up, the people would hunker down, and they would be protected. That was a physical watchman. Now, look at the layers here. So Ezekiel wasn't in a tower, right? He didn't—he didn't literally blow the horn, but he also—he also did warn the people that the Babylonians were coming. That's also important. The third part of this is that he was warning the people. Listen, it's one thing to have an outside enemy, but it's another thing to have an enemy within. So, what Ezekiel was trying to impress upon these people is their ways were wicked, it was evil. God wanted them to repent, He wanted to save them. But it was their choice once He warned them about the sin that was destroying the culture and what was going to happen as a result. So, it's one thing to die, nobody wants to die. Uh, Prematurely, That's no fun. You don't get to live your life, but it's worse to die and then to face judgment for your sins, which we don't have to because Jesus came to die for our sins. We just have to trust in him. So there's a lot going on here. And when we read this, we see that these uh, scenarios were very similar to the parables of Jesus. Now I bring this to today because as prophets, or as preachers, as pastors, as teachers of the Bible, we also are figuratively blowing the horn. We're warning about the I just said it at the in the opening, about where our culture is going, what the schools are teaching our kids, the pornographic stuff. You know, is our job to blow that horn. Now I've had the pleasure to be a watchman both physically and spiritually. As a pastor I am spiritually. Um, When you blow the horn and you start screaming, it's not a fun message for people to hear. And sometimes they could get mad at the person who's blowing the horn. Think about preachers, right? But they're just telling the truth. I had a situation years ago when I was on patrol. And uh, it was about 4.30 in the morning. And a man crashed into a telephone pole, cut the pole in half. Wires. It was a major intersection, but in a rural section of town. So it was dark, 4.30, rush hour was coming. And uh, he, he had already perished. And now there's wires in the road and there's a telephone pole down. And people were now starting to make their way to work. And I called for backup. I said, send me everyone. Send me the power company. Send me the first aid. Everyone. But, so I get out of my car. I got the lights on. And I'm trying to, people are just driving. They don't see any lights. They don't see the traffic light. And I'm like a lunatic. I'm out there stopping the cars. Stop. Don't move. Going to the other side of the intersection until somebody comes to help me out. You know, probably if you saw me and took a video, because everybody wants to take a video of the police today, they would say, that guy's unhinged. He shouldn't have the badge. But you know what? Not one other person died after that. I saved their life. Now, the message, if I was like, um, please, sir, can you please load? He would have gone right past me into the... You know, so listen, being a watchman, you just do what you're called to do. You don't do it for accolades. You don't do it for popularity. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Amen. So let's look at these scenarios. A, the person could ignore the watchman and lose their life. Spiritually, they could ignore the message of salvation. They could ignore the things of God they could ignore 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 and pretend that God exists doesn't exist and then they perish and then they have to face him not a good scenario b the person listens and saves their own life i find that fascinating do you know that god can't god has provided a way to save the sinner for god so loved the world he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life eternal life but that person has to believe so god can't force a person to be saved Isn't that amazing? We have power to be as stubborn as we want to the day we die. God gave us that free will. Somebody else, as much as I love a loved one, I can't force somebody to be saved. I just can't physically do it. I can't spiritually do it. I can only warn them. But the amazing thing is the person can save their own life by turning, by repenting, by believing, by trusting in the living God. There might be somebody watching this morning or in this building who hasn't received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I got to tell you, if that's you, take heart, be encouraged. This message is really for you. C, which is in a category all itself, is that the watchman doesn't warn the people and the watchman is held accountable by God. Now, God has spoken about the worthless shepherd, the worthless watchman. And and I look at these gimmicky ministries today. Sometimes the most dangerous place to find spirituality is on the internet. Some weird stuff out there. These, they come off as, they they look perfect, they act perfect. They don't do weddings, they don't do funerals, they don't do counseling. They're untouchable. But they're just there to make money. Being a pastor or a teacher of the things of God is a serious and sobering position. It's not to, to, it's not a game. It's not to be famous. It's not a get rich scheme. I had a friend who recently told me that he, for other, other reasons as well, he left the church. He said, he goes, let me tell you something, Joe, boo, the, the worship was perfect. And that was the problem. It was so perfect that nobody really could participate. It was a performance. It really wasn't worship. So what do we do this for? Hopefully, we're, we, you know, we need to be genuine as God's representatives. And when we're disingenuous, that's where the problems come in. A lot here. If I look at this, uh, sort of as a little caveat here is that Ezekiel's role as a watchman was designed to bring people to the eventual mediator found in Christ. Galatians 3, 4, regarding the law and the things of the Old Testament says this, Therefore, the law was our tutor. Or schoolmaster, it can be translated, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Pretty powerful stuff. So you could see Jesus, God the Son, was always in the heavens with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He didn't come down until the first century. But Ezekiel was before then, and there was sort of these types or these, these uh, ideas, they were vague. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled all the things that God had set up before them. Jesus is perfect. Verses 10 through 11. There's more to this. Therefore, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us. Now, this is the people speaking. And we pine away or we waste away in them. How can, then, how can we live? God says to Ezekiel to say that to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So those kooky churches, those cults that hold up those placards, God hates the military, God hates gays, God hates this, God hates that, they're, they're out of their mind because God loves us. He pleads, especially through the Old Testament, for us to turn so we could, so we could be with him for eternity. So you're, you're seeing God's heart through this. So two out of seven is God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And this is powerful. Now, this is kind of neat because, because whatever we say or think or we gossip, God hears it all. God is he's all-knowing. He, he's omniscient. But in verse 10, you can paraphrase this because what the people would do is they would chat amongst each other. Now, remember, this is supposed to be in the community of God's people. Chat, 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 chat. And they would say things about God that weren't true, right? So God knew it. And he would say to Ezekiel, basically, if I can paraphrase, tell them I heard what they were saying and tell them this is the reason why they're wrong, right? So... If I paraphrase, the people were saying, eh, we might be too far gone to be saved. Now, listen, thousands of years later, as I go through these different things that the people said at the time, we hear it today. Ah, God wouldn't want me. Pastor Joe, if I walked into your church, it would burst into flames. If I had a dollar for every person that said that to me, I'd be a wealthy man. It hasn't happened yet. It's not gonna happen. Just come to church. You know what I'm saying? So some genuinely feel I'm too far gone. And God's like, no, you're not. And then others use it as an excuse. So, you, you know, any society is not a monolith. You have different ideas throughout that society. So this is kind of fun to me because you see this kind of back and forth between the, the little discussions and then Ezekiel kind of exposing what they were saying. Verse 11, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God has no pleasure in judgment. So before you came into this church or even started to read the Bible, if you heard that, how mean God is and how he just created us to, to destroy us, now you know that that's not true. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 2.4, I love this. It says that God desires all people to be saved. That's his heart. And to come to the knowledge of, his, of the truth. So if God says in his word that you can, then you can. Stop making excuses. Do it today. Why should you die? And again, listen, some folks live a really robust, wonderful life and die in their nineties. And they're actually I know of some some in their nineties and I've had these discussions and, and they're just they're just not well. And they're like, I just want to go be with God. They can't wait to go be with him. They've lived a full life. So that's not what he's talking about. But why should you die? We all die. He's speaking about the second death. Right, He wants us to... Jesus died so that we could pass from death onto life. And that means eternal life. Big difference. There's a physical death, which everybody experiences. And there's a spiritual death. However, nobody has to experience that. Jesus, he promised us all these things. That we could have this eternal life. Verse 12, continuing on. It says, Therefore, you, O son of man, Ezekiel, say to the children of your people... The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. This seems like it's opposite from what a lot of people even think today. And we're going to cover this. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness, that's an important part, and commits iniquity, none of his righteous work shall be remembered, but because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, two groups here, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins, which he has committed, shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. So this one I have to spend a little time on because off the bat, some people could get the wrong impression. You know, I go into my Hebrew words and I go into the colloquialisms and, you know, I got to go into all this stuff because I will have, you know, the difference between the old covenant and new covenant. Right, The Old Covenant really pointed to Christ, and I just read that. So three, a changed life versus a presumptuous one. Now, what was going around in the community was this sort of fatalistic complaint about human nature, but really the complaint is about God. The good or the good, the bad or the bad, and nothing will change that, but God says different. Let me go with the easier one first. Trust me, the wicked one is the easier one. So, A, the wicked person repents. Verse 15, there's actions. You, the wicked person doesn't get to heaven because um, because they do good deeds. But what this verse is, right, when we look at verse 15. So, this is a person, maybe this he's a scammer. He rips people off. He steals and... He has a change of heart. He turns to the Lord and he goes, he feels convicted about what he did. You know, I took advantage of those people. It's not just lip service. God knows. And people say to me, well, it's not fair that the person who did this in prison, uh, you know, they, they repent and they go to heaven. And I always hear these prison testimonies and I'm like, listen, God knows just like church people. He knows the people who are truly repent and the ones that give lip service. So if you've done wrong and you really have an an experience with the living God and now you're going to walk in that direction, you're going to be different towards people, aren't you? You're not going to continue in those old ways because your heart's changed. Right. So the wicked person, not lip service, their actions with their repentance and God receives them. Now for the righteous person, this person does good deeds They obey the laws. They have family values. They've never stolen from anyone. And I hear this today. I never killed anyone. Great. Neither have I. (laughs) But You still need to have your sins forgiven, whatever they may be. Verse 13 is key, as in 15 was key to the other group. Verse 13 is that the righteous person trusts in their own righteousness. And I would add this, versus trusting in the mercy of God. There's the difference. I got to tell you that sometimes for me, it's easier to reach the person who's, you know, been in trouble with the law, um, done awful things and, you know, just ran with the wrong crowd. And you know what? They are really now seeking the things of God. It's like they they want to change. They don't want to do this anymore. They don't want to be in bondage to that. But then... I have to be honest with you. Sometimes the person who's a moral person, right? They are civics minded. Uh, They're not lawbreakers. That person still needs Jesus. They can't rely on their own righteousness. Righteousness is nice. You could build things with righteousness. They're like little bricks and you put them together and they look pretty. But the problem is that it's not righteousness that gets us to heaven. It's the righteousness of Christ. Now we're going to get to Abraham and what happened in the Old Testament. I'm going to get to that. The problem is that righteousness are like bricks and we can do righteous things and we can do good deeds and we should, but sin is a wrecking ball and you never get to build anything with your righteousness because sin just, every time you sin, it just comes and knocks everything over. That's my analogy. It's not perfect, but that's where we are this morning. Um, Right? It's, it's the righteousness of Christ that the wrecking ball can't knock down yeah so you know, the other part of this is the, almost the attitude is good deeds versus bad deeds you hear it from self-professing Christians you hear it from self-professing, Jew, self-professing Jewish people however when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament nowhere in either one of those compilations of codified books that the Jews and the Christians follow it doesn't say that ever Somewhere, somebody, I don't know, maybe they made a fortune somewhere through the millennia. They said, oh, it's good deeds versus bad deeds. No, it's not. This is the Old Testament and it's saying, no, it's not. So let's continue. 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul says to people in the Corinthian church, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Disqualified. And whatever the state... Well, let me get to that one next. So the moral person trusting in their own morality instead of trusting in Christ is on a very shaky foundation. Verse 17. Yet the children of your people say another thing that was going on in the community that God had Ezekiel address And, you know, it's not like God's like trying to be the NSA and spying on everybody. What he wants is a change of heart so we do the right thing so we can be with him in eternity. And listen, there are some Christians today that they worship this world. You wouldn't know unless they told you that they believed in Jesus. They're so busy. They're so distracted that they're not concerned about who's going to make it over the finish line or not. They're just doing what they want to do. And that's sad. And I think part of the reason our culture is the way it is, is because many in the church have failed to be salt and light. Jesus commands us to be salt and light, right? And you'll see that the, that the preachers who preach the prosperity gospel and all the surface stuff with no depth, those churches are filled. Isn't that sad? I've seen memes like that. The truth, the, the preacher telling the truth. There's a few people there. The preacher telling people everything they want to hear. It's, it's standing room only. That's the human heart. It wants to hear those things. You know? But God wants to use us. If we have a change of heart and start moving towards him and start doing the right thing, that's a good thing. That's a happy thing. That's something to feel accomplished about. It's nothing to be sad about. So verse 17, we continue. Yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Ooh. Ouch, but it is their way, which isn't fair. God responds when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. When the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel. I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. So 17 through 24 out of six is God isn't fair. You say, what do we hear today? same thing, a loving God, dot, 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 dot. fill in the blank. You've heard it. I've heard it. If God was really merciful, he would blank or he wouldn't blank. So people are applying for God's position. Thousands of years later, people still want to tell God what he should and shouldn't be doing, but he responds to them in verse 20. And again, I do a lot of paraphrasing. He's basic, basically saying, I'm just going to judge you according to your ways. How is that not fair? The state that you die in, the state that you choose to die in. I don't mean the state like New Jersey and New York. I mean the, the spiritual state that you're in. It'll determine where you go. Now, of course, when Jesus came, it, it, that changed because you, you trust in Christ. Now, let's, let's do this here for a minute. Because, and people say to me, well, well, what happened in the Old Testament? Like, what happened with Abraham? We read this in Romans 4. What's the litmus test for the Old Testament? So, Abraham was justified by faith, and it was credited to, to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him in accounting term. Abraham probably did some good deeds, but not a lot. Abraham was justified, right? He was good in God's eyes before the law, that came later, before circumcision before any of these things. That's why Romans 4 is in the scripture, because we could see how Abraham was actually saved. He trusted not in his own righteousness, and he was a good guy. I'm sure if he was your neighbor, you would say, oh, that guy Abraham's great. But he trusted in God's mercy. He didn't trust in himself. There's the difference. We're justified by faith, the Bible tells us. And in the New Testament, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So uh, Abraham believed somehow that God would justify him. He trusted in God, not even knowing that Jesus was coming. But he just totally gave himself up to the Lord, totally trusted him. And that righteousness was credited to him. Not his righteousness, but the righteousness of God. So here's the elephant in the room. And I did say this when we covered this the last time, but I think it's so important. I have to say it again. So the righteous person, if they sin, they're going to hell. That's not what it's saying. Because you know what I like to do? I like to answer questions before they're asked. Because I say to myself when I study, hmm, what question would somebody ask as I'm teaching this that I have to make sure I answer? I'm holding you in suspense. So it's not to say that, you know, uh, so we're, we're Christians, right? We trust, we love Jesus. And... I don't know, we get caught in the act of shoplifting and then we have a heart attack and die. We're going to hell. No, that's not what it says. Because at any given moment, we could be sinning. We could be thinking a bad thought about somebody and then have an aneurysm and, and step into eternity. That's, that's like almost playing, walking around on landmines. You know, I, I can't touch the one that's going to explode. That's not how it works. This is a picture of, first of all, Number one, the, that person is trusting in their own righteousness, not in the Lord. So there's a real question of whether that person saved at all. Secondly, we see this in Second Peter, and we also see it in Hebrew and in the Old Testament, that a person can, and then the question is, were they saved in the first place? I'm not going to get into that. But they can seemingly walk with God and then decide, one day, I don't want to walk with him anymore. I'm going my own way. I don't really care what happens. I'm done with you, Lord. Now, Tomorrow I could make the decision. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to walk with the Lord and, do, and go on TV and say, I'm no longer a Christian. Why would I do that? But I could. That's like saying, why would I um, stick my hand in a, the tree chipper thing? That would be stupid. But I could do it, right? So this is, this is basically the state that you die in. Where are you spiritually? Are you, are you with the Lord? Are you not with the Lord? And again, it doesn't mean a Christian who... Has a bad week or a bad month or they backslide. It doesn't mean they're going to hell. It doesn't mean that. I just, I know I'm overstating this, but I really have to make sure everybody understands this. Okay. If you believe in Christ and you trust in him, you're going to sin. You're going to have bad years. You're going to have bad weeks. You know, the Christian walk to me is not like a flat line. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes little, little hills and valley, big valleys, big hills. God knows that we're frail. Are you in Christ? Do you love the Lord? Don't worry about it. So, continuing on. Verse 21. It says, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came and said to me, The city has been captured, meaning Jerusalem, Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped and he had opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. So five out of seven is just as God said it would happen. Now Ezekiel's receiving the information. Um, Was he actually out there? And now he's starting to share with everybody. Remember Ezekiel, and, and they would come and they would sit before him and listen. We're going to get to that as well. And this guy comes running into the group and he's like, Jerusalem is fallen. Now, did he escape? 586 BC, Babylonians get over the wall. Terrible, terrible things that happen. Some people actually escape. But if the guys in Babylon, most likely what happened was it was the third wave of what's called the expatriation where the Babylonians come in, they round the people up, they send them to Babylon. I hate to say it, to use them as labor. That's what they did in the ancient days, right? Uh, So the guy ends up with the rest of the uh, exiles and he's like, Jerusalem has fallen. Now, no doubt, Because we read this, for years Ezekiel was saying, You got to repent. You got to stop resisting God. You got to stop putting your finger in the eye of Nebuchadnezzar. It's not going to work out well. And he would say it over and over again. And eventually he was right because he got his information from God. Now, no doubt that people might have said, Think about this today I have time. Or it won't happen. Or I'm young. I'm not concerned. But it happened. And then it was too late. God warns. Warning equals love. Second Peter 3, 3 through 4. Check this out, right? We know God's timetable. He tells us about eschatology. He tells us about the Lord's return. He tells us about church history in the early parts of Revelation. So we, we didn't think after Revelation was written that it would happen in the third or fourth century that the Lord would return. So if we read the Bible, we know these things are not true. We know eventually the Lord will return, but it's going to be a while. That being said, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, the Apostle Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers or mockers, or people that make fun of Christianity will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. That means that they have an agenda. There's a bias. And that's why they say these things. To get people not to be Christians. To, you know, to have a new type of culture where there's no Judeo-Christian influence. According to their own lusts. And this is the thing they say. They're saying it today in 2021. Where is the promise of the Lord's coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Interesting, isn't it? But we know that what we're seeing overseas, and we're going to get to this in Ezekiel 38 and 39, is is a prophecy that's been dormant for almost 3,000 years, coming alive in our time period. This is exciting. It really is. But we as believers need to know these things. We need to sound the alarm in our own little way. Right? Doesn't, I'm not asking you to run out in the middle of Jamesburg and start shouting. Get a milk crate and stand up. No, Pastor Joe didn't say that. You know what I'm saying? But we have to ask the Lord, what is it you want me to do? What are my spiritual gifts, Lord? What small way can I make a difference in the kingdom of heaven? What small way can I affect another person who doesn't know the Lord to get across the finish line and to get to heaven? Isn't that important to us? I know I want to see it. Verse 22. um, So the the, the part about Ezekiel kind of being mute, but then speaking, uh, it does appear... That, you know, God would tell Ezekiel to do certain things and then he would tell him to be quiet <laughs> in a nice way, I'm sure. Um, I think what Ezekiel had to say was so important to the people that he didn't want Ezekiel to make small talk. So when you read that, it's just ancillary, it's just supportive, it just it goes to the historical context of what's going on. Okay, verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, but they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, okay, more discussions. Now this is from the folks in Jerusalem. Abraham was only one and he inherited the land, right? This is logic, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. So they did things in the old Testament, in the old covenant, they were just careless. They didn't care. God says, I got these rules. Now we don't care. So they were eating meat with blood. They didn't drain it properly. You lift up your eyes towards your idols. That's not good. And shed blood. That's not good. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations when you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field, I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations, which they have committed six out of seven is rock bottom. Wasn't bottom enough. Now I've seen this in people's lives, right? They hit the bottom and you really want them to receive the Lord. You just, you have such empathy. You just want to see them change their lives and and have some joy and, and peace in their lives, but it isn't low. It's not low enough. They have to say, well, let me try this. Well, let me do this. And they just keep scheming and planning. And they, they just, as, as low as they are, they, they want to go even lower. So the folks that survived the Babylonian invasion were like, huh, we're fine. Like this arrogance that they had. And they said, well, Abraham, they're looking back at Abraham, their ancestor. And they go, Abraham was one person. He inherited the land of Israel. And we're many, so we won't have a problem. This is the problem with logic when you're, when you're estranged from God. Isn't it amazing the smartest people i've met right? They can deceive themselves into believing something. That's just not true The human mind is uh, i mean i've studied psychology for years behaviorism There's so many aberrations of the human mind and where people go down these kind of rabbit holes That lead them in a trap. I'm just using logic The, the the fool says in his heart the bible says there is no god yeah, you know, we, a little amoebas and, you know, uh, polypeptides in the primordial soup. And, and it's violating all kinds of laws, UV lights and the, the law of mass action. But, oh, yeah, we became a fully functioning, thinking person with checks and balances in our blood vessels and our endocrine system and respiratory and, and uh, reproduction. i go on for hours. I love this stuff. Uh, but where was I? <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that's why I have notes. I get very passionate about this. It's just worldly logic. And we deceived ourselves into thinking stupid things that aren't true. But we have degrees from universities and doctorates. And, and, but we're not making any sense. And those people were highly educated and they weren't making any sense. So God was basically, they were saying, listen, Ezekiel, we heard this stuff. But hey, Babylonians came. Yeah, some people died. Some people got eaten by wild beasts, but we're still alive. So we're good. We're going to inherit just in an arrogant way. So God basically, I mean, if you look at the Bible, first off, Abraham was a good man and he was a man of faith. And whenever he did wrong, he was humble about it, right? These people had become so wicked. They were doing horrific things. They were evil and they were faithless. And God enumerates some of their sins, not even all of them. The second issue is it's not about numbers, this is what politicians do. Listen, we're in election season. Don't tell me that all of these guys and gals, wait till the midterms, wait till the next presidential. They're all going to be glued to what does Gallup say? And what does real clear politics say? Because politicians follow percentages because they want to stay in power. God doesn't care. He doesn't care about Gallup. Well, you know, Lord, um, 71% of uh, professing Christians don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, let me change something to make you all happy. Let me tell you something. It don't work like that. So the people were saying, hey, this this is a lot of us. Abraham was one person. Look at us. We're all the sons of the promise. (laughs) That says it all. The head shake, right? Uh, He says it's not over. You really got to... If you hit the bottom, you you got to turn to me. I can save you. But a lot of them weren't. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them did. Okay? But God wants how many to be saved? All to be saved. Okay. Verse 30. Last few verses. As for you, son of man, the children of your people... This is funny. He's telling Ezekiel, you can't read minds. You don't know what they're saying in their houses. But I do. Let me tell you what they're saying, Ezekiel. Your people... They're talking about you besides the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another. Everyone's saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they don't do them. For with their mouth, they show much love. I was told early on in ministry, don't respond to flattery. Because the day you say, you shouldn't anyway, because it builds up pride. But they love you today, they hate you tomorrow. With their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them, Ezekiel, you're like to the people, you're like a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So seven out of seven is the house built on the rock or the house built on the sand. They they loved listening to Ezekiel, you know? But they didn't change. They loved listening to Jesus. He drew crowds like crazy. And then sometimes they would say, and he withdrew from the crowd and got into a boat. What are you doing, Jesus? You're building up your popularity. This is free advertising. Come back. Jesus liked to deal with people one on one, small groups. He loved the crowds, or he would tell them a hard parable and they'd all walk away. Oh, that was that was a that was a nasty parable, Son of God, you know. And then the apostles would come by and say, you know, paraphrasing, we know your character. What did that mean? And he would expound upon it for the ones who really were interested in what God's word was. And, folks, this morning, people do the same thing. Now, there is the true church and there's the Christian culture. The Christian culture is larger, the true church is the true church. But many in the Christian culture do this, and they go on the internet and they seek a pastor who's going to tell them what they want to hear. It's called the tickling of the ears. Sorry, people get upset with me when I say this. I'm not going to name names this morning, but the prosperity gospel, you know, and I've had people that have come to me and said, the prosperity gospel burnt me out because then when I went through a hard time, it wasn't commensurate with what I was being taught. I didn't know how to handle myself in hard times because that preacher's telling me everything could be wonderful. And then I would think the preacher would say, well, I don't have enough faith. So I have to, mm, I have to mm, get more faith. How do you get more faith? by walking with the Lord. You don't force it to come. It's like a flower. A plant doesn't go, "Mm, I got to pop that bud out. It just happens. One day you wake up, it's like, oh, the roses are blooming. But the point is that as those were going before Ezekiel and they were just, oh, he's like a pleasant song. Maybe he spoke nicely. Maybe, maybe they liked his skits. Ezekiel did a lot of skits. He did weird stuff and he would mime, or pantomime, and like, oh, oh, let's see what Ezekiel's doing. Instead of getting the message, they were being entertained by him. It could be that way in this church. Oh, Pastor Joe says funny things sometimes. I laugh when I go to see Pastor Joe. He says odd things, and I do. But you should be here because you want to know what the Lord says. Because I did the research and I'm giving you the applications. Not for any other reason. But the Christian culture seeks entertainment in America. And I wonder if that's why our culture is so rotten. Because a lot of Christians have put salt aside. supposed to be salt. And they're not doing anything. Right? Imagine if every Christian in the world did something small. How different would the world look i wonder so i'm going to leave you with this matthew 7 24 through 27 jesus says this in the new testament and he likens he likens um, your spiritual life to a house and what you've built it on verse 24 it says therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine the sayings of jesus and does them you know jesus in john 14 says if you love me you'll follow my word But if you don't know the word and you don't find it important, how do you know if you're in the category of somebody who loves him? He says, those who hate me don't follow my word. Well, I certainly don't want to be in that category. So I'd like to know what his word is. I'll continue. He says, those who hear these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Good foundation. Now, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, they get their ears tickled. They want to be entertained. They, they have the sniffles and they go to Jesus and they want the sniffles healed. Or they're hungry and Jesus multiplies some fish and bread and that's good enough for them. It will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended. The floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Two houses, one's built on a solid foundation, One's not. For those in the Christian culture that build their house on the world, that's a bad foundation. You build your house on the rock, it doesn't matter. What comes it's going to stand. So my question to you this morning is, what is your spiritual house built on? If it's not Jesus, it's sinking sand, then eventually we'll come to nothing, right? And I, I really love this part because there is a sub-theme in here, and this is important. And don't, don't get me wrong. And, and if my attitude is wrong, I will apologize and take it back. The self-righteous Christian person, the self-righteous person who's in the church, who they're just relying on their self-righteousness. You know, a person who judges other people, its nobody wants to be in a church where there's a bunch of people just staring at you, looking at your face and your clothing. And that type of judgmental, self-righteous person thinks that they're wonderful. Can I tell you something? I have no... Standing, I have no right, me personally, to judge anybody. Come into the church. You want God's word? Just come in. Well, what about this? Listen, there's no disclaimers. Just come and get the word of God. But I think that, that there was a sub-theme of God saying to that self-righteous person, you better be careful of relying on your self-righteousness. And that's what makes people not want to come to church, that type of person. So what is your spiritual house built upon this morning? Well, if it's not built on the rock this morning, find yourself the rock, build your house on him, and you know what? No matter what happens in your life, you're going to stand strong. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at... 10:30 10:30 AM. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.